Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. All right, so we are on class three. This is session five, and we're going to look now at Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Order, uh, or ADHD, and I'm sure you have heard of this. There's a lot of overlap here, by the way, with LD. All right, so the American Psychiatric Association describes this as a persistent pattern of inattention. That generally means that this has lasted about a year um, of inattention. Note, it also hyperactive impulsive behavior. It's more frequent and more severe than you would typically see in individuals who are at the same level of development. All right, when we look at the different subtypes that, that are going to be done in it, you'll see that this is APA. This is not federal law. Federal law doesn't cover ADHD. All right, so we have three subtypes. We have what we used to call ADD. This is your predominantly inattentive type. These kids struggle to stay on task and do what they need to do. They daydream a lot, um, they get off task, they lose stuff because they can't remember where they put it. Um, they, they just kind of have a really hard time focusing. All right, the next one is ADHD, predominantly hyperactive impulsive. This is what we used to just call ADHD. All right, these kids um, are just so busy and so impulsive, they blurt things out, they, they'll jump in to answer a question before you've even gotten it out, and they don't care if they're right, they just need to say something. Um, they spin around a lot, they just can't sit still, and if they do sit still, they are fidgeting nonstop. And then you'll know there's a combined form, so we've got both inattentive things, and we've got also hyperactive things, and that is a tough combination. All right, it's not under federal law as a disability. So you, if you get a ruling for special ed, you're going to get it under OHI, or you might get it under LD. Some kids who can't get that might get services under 504, and we've talked about that before. All right, so here are your three subtypes. You've got the inattentive form. Here's some of the things they just cannot pay attention. They're off in their own world daydreaming. Sometimes they're counting the ceiling tiles. Um, they're so distractible. Now, we're all distractible, y'all. If, you know, if somebody's cell phone rings, we all look around. If a siren goes outside the window, we all want to run, look, and see. Um, this kid's distracted more by some other kid pulling out a pencil or rattling something. And they're, what's what, what, you know, kind of looking around, seeing what's going on easily forget stuff. I mean, they just can't remember anything. This is jackets, backpacks. I can't tell you how many times these parents are saying to me, I have bought six backpacks this year because the kid doesn't know what he's done with it. And so they just forget things. Um, their attention is very selective. When they want to pay attention to something, they usually can. Um, particularly things like video games, which move fast. They can stay on a video game for maybe hours. All right, reading a book, about 10 seconds. All right, they're just going to drift off and not focus. Sometimes they look kind of zoned, too. All right, you got these kids who look sort of lethargic, like, you know, they're just sort of slugs. Um, 
real unmotivated. They know if you get them on an academic test, this is going to be trouble. And they don't want to do it, so they just don't. All right, a lot of times they get started, but they get sidetracked. I got a niece who has this, and her mother has it. All right, she'd start off, the mom would say, now go practice your violin. And she was very sweet, never was, you know, um, at all um, a problem. And she'd go, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go do it. And she went. But then, you know, she'd see the guinea pigs, and she'd run over there to make sure she fed them. And then she'd see something outside, and she'd go out there to check on that. And the next thing you know, she was, like, way down the neighborhood. All right, she meant to. She just got sidetracked. Her mama got sidetracked and didn't realize that she didn't hear practicing. About 10 o'clock at night, they'd both go, oh, no, we didn't practice the violin. All right, so it's that kind of thing, and they just kind of drift here and there. Um, very hard for them to stay focused. They lose a lot, like I mentioned. Um, get overlooked sometimes because this sort of thing isn't something that we key into a whole lot. We're not really realizing that they're doing it. So some of these kids aren't getting diagnosed as they should be. All right, when it comes to hyperactive impulsiveness, we always know this is happening. These always get diagnosed. Can't sit still. Fidget, fidget, fidget. Some of them are just rolling around in their chair. Um, they talk nonstop. Can't be not talking. Um, blurt in and interrupt if you're talking and they just can't stand it. You'll note that they don't play quietly. It's very loud with these kids. They don't wait well. Um, if you've got a line, they push to be the leader. They'll knock people down so that it can be their turn. Um, flip over board games because they get tired of waiting on somebody else. So there's a lot of activity going on here. All right. You'll note that you don't see a lot of adolescents or adult with this. Kids, you see it a lot. Usually, um, we don't have a first diagnosis by adolescent or adulthood. Now, there are adolescents or adults who had it as a child who are continuing to have it. Right? This means we don't usually see a first diagnosis at that age. Um, remember, there's a combined type, and we just have both um, those different sets of features, and it is definitely hard for that kid um, in a classroom because not only are they not paying attention, they're also moving around nonstop um, and can't seem to settle. Um, you're going to see most of your kids who are the combined type, and all of these kids will, um, if we're going to use a school diagnosis and go with 504 or OHR or whatever we put them under, they would need to be having school difficulties. So if they have the hyperactive type and they're doing fine in school, um, we're not going to give them any kind of diagnosis. All right, prevalence numbers are a little hard to come by simply because uh, we put them in so many different places, we don't have a good head count. But the guess, um, which is estimated um, about 2 million, is about 3 to 5% of our kids. It is a very chronic childhood condition. Chronic just means it's long-lasting, and we do see a good bit of ADHD these days. And this is a huge um, increase in OHI, which is why we think um, that we see a lot of ADHD. We don't really know Um that all these kids in OHI have ADHD, but it has definitely come up. And people have gotten more aware of ADHD over the last few years. Definitely more boys than girls, especially in the hyperactive inattention. And this is just showing you over the years, and this just starts in 1990 when we actually started really looking at ADHD. Um, we didn't have it before that. 
and it only goes up to 2003, 2004. Um, but you can see huge numbers in terms of increase, um, dramatic actually, over that period of time. Uh, as we begin to understand a lot of the, um, this is of course the OHI category. It doesn't mean it's necessarily ADHD. There could be other kinds of illnesses here, um, but a lot of it's ADHD. All right, so our considerations, we don't have good stats, again, because they're in OHI, some are in 504, some are in LD, um, so we don't have really great stats on this, but we would assume um, when we put these children in the least restrictive environment that most of them would be in the regular education classroom um, with the typical children, because this is not really a uh, problem with them uh, in their brain. In terms of learning they can learn they just do it in a different way um, some again remember got special ed some got 504 and they could be in some of the other environments right, when we look at the causes um, the main assumption is that there's a, some neurological dysfunction that would be something again within the brain um, just like with LD, we see um, some of this running in families where we think there's some heredity issues with that. There may be genes. Environment, we think, has a huge play on this that um, children today really aren't being asked um, to sit down and stretch their attention as long. And we're really, even Sesame Street's been blamed for this because it, it shifts so fast, like, you know, one minute two minutes we're doing something else, um, that we aren't teaching kids to stretch um, their attention span. So there's a lot of environmental factors that have been proposed, including additives in food. Um, so some of the areas of the brain that are affected are that prefrontal lobe. Your frontal lobes, remember, are responsible for executive decision making, and it really fully formed until you're 25. Um, the frontal lobes, again, that part of that prefrontal is connected to it. The basal ganglia is internally within the brain. Um, and then the biggest is your cerebellum, which is the outer covering of your brain. And the corpus callosum, I'm gonna show you all that in just a sec, as you can see. Um, they're all kind of mentioned. Your prefrontal lobe, you can see is right in the very, very front of your brain. And the frontal lobe is kind of right behind that. Um, cerebellum is a little bit kind of underneath in the brain stem. Um, you can see the corpus callosum on your far right. Um, note that some of that kind of is overlapping. It's kind of an internal piece of your frontal lobe. And the basal ganglia is right under that frontal lobe. So they're all kind of sort of tied to that front part of the brain where your executive functioning is going to be. All right, we really don't know if young children have ADHD for the most part because every preschooler does this stuff. They, you know, these kids are just a little bit bigger in how it plays out. So we usually don't have a diagnosis. Parents kind of diagnose their own kids, but we don't have an official diagnosis um, in these littler kids. Um, if we do identify them younger than five, they are really, really extreme. And we're going to definitely need some serious help with these kids because they are the biggest of the uh, hyperactivity going on. We assess in four ways. Um, there must be a medical exam. A doctor has to give a diagnosis of ADHD. Now, it can be a doctor in psychology, um, but it does have to be some kind of medical exam. 
the clinical interview will be an interview with the family and if there's a teacher with the teacher to see there's a checklist that you're going to go through um, with ADHD to see if they meet the criterion. Um, so the interview is kind of going to usually be while we fit while we fill out these rating scales and we get the standard ADHD little rater and we're going to walk it through and see if they have um, it's kind of hard though because they all have this word often in them and they often lose things well everybody loses stuff okay they're often distractible everybody's distractible and everything in there we all kind of do some of those things all right, we're going to do observations of the child and watch them at different places, um, making sure that this is not just something that happens, say, in math class. All right, if they maybe don't like math, they might, you know, roll around on the floor in math um, just because they don't want to do it. And if they don't do that everywhere in all kinds of situations, it's not true ADHD. Um, all of this is subjective, you know, one person's version of often is another person's version of it doesn't happen very much. Um, so there are some kids who have rulings that really don't have ADHD. Um, we do what's called a functional behavioral analysis or assessment here. Um, sometimes it's called an applied behavior analysis or ABA. And we break behavior down as we observe these kids into the ABCs. This is something generally a psychologist is going to do. You're looking for the antecedents of a behavior. All right, so the A stands for antecedents, and this is the thing that causes the behavior to occur or kicks you into the behavior. And then every behavior has some consequence, some reaction to it, uh, positive or negative. And if they're doing it so far, it's had a positive consequence, and we may need to change it to a negative consequence. All right, you can set yourself up for a behavior by setting up an antecedent. All right, so if I know that I need to take a book to school, all right, and I might forget it, I have options for my antecedent. Usually what I'll do is set it on the table with my purse, which I would pick up together. Sometimes I'm going to put it in the car, all right, on the, the passenger seat. And then when I get in the car, I see the book, which is the antecedent, which reminds me the behavior to take it in and the consequence is I have what I need and my day goes better so every behavior breaks down and we're looking to see you know I had a kid that I worked with his antecedent for his behavior his behavior was acting out and the teacher would say get out your math book and as soon as she said that he would do something to get sent to the office so his consequence was going to the office which you would think would be bad all right, but for him, it was good because he got out of math. Um, and once we figured it out, um, he didn't get to go down there anymore and he had to straighten up. All right, we teach you to self-regulate. All right, keep yourself on task. Um, we work with the school and the home and together. So we're sending notes home to the parents. Parents are giving us back information and we're kind of trying to stay on the same page uh, with the parents and the teachers. We may need to modify some of the instructions for these children, make the task a little bit shorter. If their attention span just isn't going to hold, we'll just kind of make um, a shorter, you know, if it's supposed to be a 20-minute task, we might make it 10 minutes. And then, you know, we may come back in another 10 minutes and do the same material. Um, sometimes as a last resort, we do medication 
And y'all, this really ought to be a last resort. It's turning into a first resort. Parents are going to doctors and demanding medication for their kids, and that's really not good. A lot of these kids don't need to be on long-term medication. Um, we don't really know the results of that, but it does kind of get the kids to pay attention. All right, some of the characteristics, we're going to look at a guy named Russell Barkley. He is kind of the leading expert when it comes to ADHD. And he says what we need to learn to do is inhibit certain behaviors. And these are behaviors, you know, like spinning and running. We've got to learn to control these different behaviors. And, you know, we we teach preschoolers how to do this. All right, but we're just going to have to work with this with older children. Um, we need to teach executive functioning, which is making wise decisions. Now, remember, this is your frontal lobes um, that will help us do those executive functionings and these kids do struggle in that so we're going to really have to focus on let's think through your actions um, helping you be aware of time he likes to use um, an actual kitchen timer um, to set it for about 15 minutes and say you need to work until you hear the bell go off and when you hear the bell go off you can take a break and that just helps us realize it's not going to drag forever now we may literally have to start five minutes and, and work our way up so we have to learn to manage our time and a lot of kids today i mean quite honestly a lot of adults get on facebook and waste six hours and don't realize that they're not managing their time well um, so we would need to work on that with our kids um, teach them how to set up goals first off and secondly how to work towards their goals um, with their behaviors and realize I've you know made the first step and so we break the goals down into pieces um, we need to teach some adaptive behaviors you know just generally what is going to function best for you and learn how this behavior isn't working or this behavior is um, if they have problems socializing with their peers, which many of our kids will, um, a lot of times we don't have the patience to deal with somebody who's inattentive and forgets to show up when we made an appointment with them or going to meet them for lunch or um, can't sit still and, you know, have a conversation with us. So we, we have to work on some social skills with these kids. Um, there are coexisting conditions with some of these kids. Some of them have also got learning disabilities, and they may get their special ed ruling from that. Some are going to show emotional or behavioral disorders. We haven't talked about that yet, but you can see where you might have some issues with the fact that you're struggling so much and become very sad or angry and act out in some of those um, behaviors. Um, this individual, anybody with ADHD, is at great risk for substance abuse. It doesn't mean they'll have it, um, but a lot of times they'll turn to something like alcohol or drugs to kind of calm themselves down, thinking that the alcohol will make them settle. Um, and, and their brain is a little bit different, so the potential for abuse issues gets really, really high for these kids. All right, in terms of placement issues, we don't have good stats, remember, because it's not a category of its own, but we assume that only about maybe 40% would get some sort of special ed. So a lot of folks who actually do have ADHD aren't getting services, and we do it one-on-one -on -one to decide if they need the general ed classroom or if they need um, maybe a self-contained class. But most of the time, as we mentioned, it's an OHI. And the other option is 504.
All right, when we transition here, um, you got some things that you really need to look at. Okay, first off, we don't usually diagnose this in adulthood. It's usually diagnosed as a younger person, and so they might continue to have the diagnosis in adulthood. If you've got issues with ADHD, you got two adult things that are really, really hard for you. One is employment, right? Some folks have learned to manage this enough to where they can manage to be employed. Other folks are still struggling with it, and employment may be a problem, particularly if they have a job where they just sit at a desk for a long time. Um, that can be very, very hard for our hyperactive, impulsive group. Um, employment where they got to be outside or could move around a lot, that might be a job that they would do really well in. Um, marriage and family issues can come. I mean, uh, obviously, they need to be able to focus a little bit. Um, it does cause a lot of struggles within marriages if one of them is extremely forgetful or extremely hyperactive. Um, and it can affect um, the children as well. And there are marriages that break up over these kinds of issues. So certainly we need to really address this, you know, before we get into that situation. All right, so where we're headed next is that you'll complete your reading for this week and work on your writing assignments and get to your discussion questions and um, be ready to take your quiz. And here are your references. Um, it's your textbook and an older edition of it. And this is our conclusion for week three.